0: My text this Lord's Day is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse
1: 25.
0: Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Today we continue our series concerning the family and we will take up the matter of a husband's duties in regard to his wife. Now, I entertain no delusions of sinlessness or perfection in these matters, dear husbands, whether in your life or in mine. I preach as much, if not more, to myself as the sermon goes forth this Lord's Day. Therefore, men, let us not become defensive as God speaks to us today, but rather let us be thankful that we have the Spirit of God to enlighten our minds and to grant us the grace to grow into ever greater conformity to the image of Christ. All of our marriages, dear ones, are in need of God's sanctifying grace. There is none among us who has a marriage that needs no improvement, that needs no growth in grace. Let us then, dear ones, this day, eat and drink freely of Christ. Let us feed upon His Word. Let us apply His grace into our lives. So that we not only hear the word today, but become doers of that word. This Lord's Day will focus our attention upon two main points from our text. First of all, the role of a husband. And second, the duty of a husband. First then, the role of a husband. In Ephesians 5.23 We note these words, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Beginning with Ephesians 5.18, the apostle Paul gives to us the power without which A person cannot live the Christian life, that power being the Holy Spirit. The Word of God, dear ones, that is read to you today, the Word of God that is preached to you today, will fall on deaf ears. It will fall over the end of this pulpit to the ground. It will have no effect in your life if it is not of the Holy Spirit to enlighten your minds and to give you understanding and to draw you unto himself and to cause you to desire to obey and apply that word to your lives. We need the filling of God's Spirit to hear the Word preached today. And you know, dear ones, we need the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that the Apostle Paul is addressing in this section. We need the Holy Spirit in our marriages. It is not a Christian marriage if the Holy Spirit is not there. If the Holy Spirit is not filling the lives of those who are in that marriage and profess to be Christians for all of the name and titles that are given to that marriage, it is not, in practice, a Christian marriage. It is nominally a Christian marriage. The Apostle Paul demonstrates how the Holy Spirit must be involved in various areas of life. For example, first of all, he demonstrates in Ephesians 5, verses 19 through 21, how the Holy Spirit must fill us when we gather in corporate worship together. He then moves on from corporate worship to talk about the relation, various relationships within the home. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through chapter 6, verse 9, he addresses the duties of husbands and wives, of parents and children, and of masters and servants. And then he finally presses the point home with regard to the need of the filling of the Holy Spirit in all areas of life in chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Dear ones, the Holy Spirit is not to be squeezed out of any room that is within our heart, but each and every door is to be swung wide open for the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Thus understand, dear ones, that if we would have the kind of marriage that brings glory to God and edification to others, we must be continuously filled with the power of the Almighty Spirit of God. And notice here in the text, it is not an option, it is a command. Be filled with the Spirit of God. It is a continuous command. Be continuously filled with the Spirit of God. Any of us who have been married for any time at all realize we cannot change our partner. We cannot change their lives, their attitudes, or anything. We can be a means which God uses, but we can't do the changing without the Holy Spirit, dear ones. Whether it's your life or the life of your spouse, there will be no change by way of sanctification going on. And so we must absolutely find our help, our support, our encouragement from God in this whole matter so that we don't become frustrated that our husband or wife isn't changing as quickly as we want them to. They're not moving in the direction that we want them to move in. And so we become frustrated. Let us not do so. This is the Spirit's work. Let us not take the Spirit's work upon our own shoulders. We are not the Holy Spirit. We are not junior messiahs. It is God alone who changes one another's hearts and lives. And therefore, we should not as well become discouraged or depressed. We should not become impatient, thinking, well, God's not going to do it, so I'd better do it. Play the part of, of uh, Abraham and Hagar. Because God had not opened the womb of Sarah. Let's take this route to try and figure out and help God out. No, let's depend upon God. Let's depend upon the Holy Spirit to bring about these changes. And you know, again, beloved, the Holy Spirit is not simply an entity that is Way out there. The Holy Spirit is with us. And we are encouraged in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 through 13, that if even evil and wicked fathers here upon the earth will give to their children that which they need by way of food and clothing and shelter, how much more your Father in heaven will give to you, the Spirit of God. When you simply ask, Lord, I need your Spirit. I can't do this in my own strength. I need the power of the Holy Spirit operating daily, moment by moment in my life. Now we're ready to consider then the role of a husband, understanding that even in the role of a husband and the duties of the husband, that... One is not simply operating in his own strength, but must be absolutely dependent upon the Spirit of God. The primary role of the husband, dear ones, in the home is that of a leader or that of a head. God has called the husband to be a leader within the home. That's what he says in Ephesians 5.23. Again, let me simply reiterate what Paul says. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, as we talk about the role of a husband within the family, and as we have identified that his primary role is to lead his wife, we need to understand what the end or purpose of that leadership is. What is that directed toward? Is it simply to satisfy some, some inner craving, some vain desire on the part of a husband to control? Is that why God has given to the man this authority to rule or to lead within the family? Dear ones, the end or goal of a husband's leadership is to lead his wife in honoring Christ and in blessing others and in order to protect his wife from that which threatens her spiritual and physical well-being. That's the purpose or those are the purposes toward which leadership is always to be directed Again, we are to, as husbands, dear ones, lead our wives in honoring Christ and in blessing others and in protecting her from all of the evils, whether spiritual or physical, that may threaten her life. Husbands, if our leadership is not intended to lead our wives in these directions, just stated, then we have failed to understand the very purpose of being a leader in the first place. In every decision you make, therefore, husbands, you ought to run. If you have any question, doubt about this, you ought to run these types of issues, purposes, by yourself as you make decisions concerning your family? Am I leading my wife to honor Christ? Am I leading her to be a blessing to others? Am I leading or am I protecting her from that which will spiritually and physically endanger her life? That's the direction that we should be heading as we lead our wives, dear ones. Not simply to swing our weight around That's not one of the purposes that God has given to the husband, the leadership that he has. Moreover, dear ones, we must understand that just as the church has only one head, namely Jesus Christ, and as the human body has only one head sitting upon its shoulders, so the Lord says a marriage has only one human head or leader. And that is the husband. Now, this is not my mere opinion, but this is God's express declaration. And there is amongst many today who would promote an equal headship of husband and wife within the family, that false teaching, which basically looks like a monster. A two-headed monster, two heads, rather than one. It is often said that the scripture, where it speaks of the husband being the head, of Christ being the head, that this headship does not refer to authority, but actually it refers to the fact that that the wife finds her origin or finds her source in the husband, that he is her head in the sense that her origin originally in Adam came from Adam. The very beginning in creation, she was created from one of his ribs. And so, this is one of the arguments that is appealed to in order to minimize the truth that is here spoken of. But I would, again, have you turn to God's Word because we need to compare Scripture with Scripture when such issues arise. And as we look at what Paul says earlier in the letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 1.22, we find that this headship that Jesus Christ has and the headship which... The man has, which is patterned after Christ's headship, is one of authority. Ephesians 1.22, it says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Here we find how we ought to understand Ephesians 5.23, when Christ when God says that the man is the head of his wife, he has put her under himself. He has put the wife under the man. We also note with regard to the man's headship and his role as a head that the Lord has not left us blindly to wander about wondering. What does that mean? To fall into this ditch on this side with regard to headship, or to fall into this ditch on that side with regard to headship, he has given us an example. He has given us the example of Christ himself. Do we want to know how we are to behave and act as heads? We have an example in the way the Lord Jesus Christ cares for and loves his own church. so I would ask you, dear ones, you men, inasmuch as we are to pattern our headship after the Lord Jesus Christ, are our wives learning about Christ's loving leadership as they observe and consider your leadership within the home and my leadership in the home? Are our wives, dear ones, being sent to Christ Because of our godly imitation of Christ's example is ahead. Are they fleeing to Christ and wanting to embrace Jesus Christ? Or are they shying away from Christ and running the other direction? Because we have not imitated Christ in our headship, but imitated rather the world in its view of headship. Well, having stated the role of the husband, that being the head within the family, let us proceed to make some necessary qualifications concerning his headship and leadership in the home. First of all, a husband's leadership, dear ones, does not in any way imply that a wife is inferior to her husband as to her essential nature. For they were both made in the image of God, according to Genesis one through 26-28. Male and female, he made both of them in the image of God. Nor does a husband's leadership, dear ones, imply that a wife is inferior to her husband as to her justification, as to her standing before God, as to her sanctification before the Lord Jesus Christ does not imply inferiority in that respect either. First Peter 3.7, in fact, says that our wives, dear ones, are heirs together with us of the grace of life. They are joint heirs with us. They have an equal standing. And because that is the case, God says that if you mistreat your wife, if you do not live with her according to knowledge and understanding that your prayers will be hindered. God takes this seriously. So we're not talking about inferiority as to nature. We're not talking about inferiority as to position, relationship to Christ. We're talking here about a role that God has ordained within the family, a role that the husband should be the head and the wife should be the... Helper. Another qualification that we must make is that the husband's authority to lead his wife is not his own authority, but rather is an authority delegated to him by God. It is not, therefore, an absolute authority but rather a derived authority. For as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, God alone is Lord of the conscience. No husband can lord it over the conscience of his wife, either to forbid her to do what is right or to command her to do what is evil. This is exactly what the apostles communicated to those who would seek to have brought them under their control, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the rulers of, of the Jews at that time, who told the apostles not to speak anymore in the name of Christ. And in Acts 5.29, the apostles say, you judge whether it's right to obey you or God. They say, for our part, we must obey God rather than man. Just as the faithful civil magistrate is the minister of God, he ministers on behalf of God. He is God's servant. So likewise, the faithful husband is the minister of God to the wife for her good, not for her destruction. third qualification with regard to the authority, the headship of the husband is this. Thus, the husband, dear ones, must always lead his wife in a way that is first and foremost honoring to God, that is agreeable to the will of God. And secondly, he must lead her in a way that is edifying or beneficial to the spiritual and physical well-being of his wife. It must be to her profit, spiritually and physically. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. We find the, the purpose of authority stated for us by the Apostle Paul. In this regard, specifically, he refers to the authority of the apostles in the church and to all, all faithful ministers within the church. But the same, uh, the same truth applies with regard to the authority of a husband within the home as well. The apostle says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction. Authority, leadership, and headship must always be used for the edification, the building up in the faith of the one who is being led, not for the crushing and for the destroying of the one who is being led. It is an abuse and misuse of authority to use it in that way. And even when that authority is used to correct, it is not correction for the purpose of destruction, for simply showing forth and demonstrating anger, getting even, but it is always with the view of helping, teaching, assisting, aiding, And causing our wives, men, to walk faithfully before the Lord. And so it is always administered in love, even when there is correction. And so God's glory and our wife's well-being should always be that which motivates us as husbands in our leadership. The Lord, dear ones, never delegated his authority to the husband so as to satisfy the selfish selfish desire for power on the part of a man. And although I do not condone the scornful attitude many women have toward the concept of male headship today within a marriage, I submit to you that very often their resentment toward male headship is severely aggravated by either the overbearing attitude, words and actions of men toward their wives, or by the cowardly attitude, words and actions of men in surrendering all godly leadership in the marriage to their wives. I have witnessed, dear ones, many times when husbands have humbly repented of their abuse, either by way of tyranny or cowardice, within the home and the use of authority. I have witnessed how they have repented. And I have witnessed how many times in those circumstances, wives have gladly accepted their husband's loving leadership. It was not the leadership issue in and of itself at all in so many cases. It was the way in which that leadership was being used within the home. And so, dear ones, let us as husbands, as godly husbands, recognize our duty and responsibility to exercise our leadership in a loving manner, in a way that will be edifying to our wives. A wife will not respect the leadership of either a bully or of a wimp going to either extreme. You will not gain, husbands, your wife's respect but as you walk that biblical narrow road in loving, caring for, teaching, instructing, protecting your wife she will gladly in most cases, she will gladly follow. Dear ones, selfishness and authority have no rightful place together in a marriage. Selfishness and authority don't go together. Self-sacrifice and authority always go together. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, In verses 25 through 28, when the disciples got into a spat over the fact that James and John's mother came and said, Lord, uh, I want to ask you something. Can my two sons sit on your right hand when you come in your kingdom? The disciples got into a heated debate over this. Uh, They were probably simply jealous because they hadn't asked for it first. As we see in other cases where the disciples argued amongst themselves who would be greatest in the kingdom of God. Self-sacrifice wasn't especially high in their priority list. But Jesus says, I don't want you to be like the lords of the Gentiles, the princes and kings of the Gentiles who exercise mere dominion, harsh dominion over those over whom they rule. But you, if you are to be a leader, must become a servant. If you are to lead those who are beneath you, you must lead by your words, by your attitude, and by your example. That is how we must primarily lead. Yes, we must correct when it is needed. We must reprove when it is needed. But was. That will fall on deaf ears. It will become a mere case for resentment on the part of our wives if we do not love them and lead them in the truth. William Gouge in Domestical Duties, page 378, has aptly cautioned us men in the use of our authority when he says, Authority is like a sword which, with overmuch using, will be blunted and so fail to do that service which otherwise it might when there is most need. A wise, grave, peaceable man may always have his sword in readiness and that also very bright, keen and sharp but he will not be very ready to pluck it out of his scabbard. He rather keepeth it for a time of need when it should stand in him most stead Such husbands, therefore, as are too frequent in their commands, show themselves nor grave, nor wise, nor lovers of peace. As the use of an husband's authority in commanding must be rare, so when there is occasion to use it, it must be with such mildness and moderation tempered. The same is true when we get to the section dealing with parents and how they relate to their children, the same is true with regard to the way we deal with our children. Overuse of authority and and spanking will cause our children, dear ones, not to respect and to listen to the spanking. We must be careful that when we use that particular means, that we use it for something that is... Known to be a violation of God's word, something that is explicit, something that is flagrant, not just for any and every violation. Otherwise, through common use, it loses its effectiveness and the child becomes embittered against it. And so we must be careful in our use of authority, whether husbands or whether mothers and fathers, or whether pastors and elders, or whether the civil magistrate. We must be careful in the way we use our authority. Husbands, as those who have been given authority within our homes, along with that authority to rule on behalf of God, to the edification and well-being of our wives comes a time of reckoning at which time we will stand before the Lord God Almighty and will give an account of our faithfulness in the use of God's authority within our marriages. A sobering thought. We will give an account how we have handled our authority within our home. Have we been cowards in the use of our authority? Or have we been tyrants in the use of our authority? We will give an account for that misuse and abuse. Always remember, with authority comes greater responsibility. Because God has granted to you, husbands, the authority to lead your wives does not mean that you can take greater license and you can live a double standard before your wives and your children. It means rather that God will hold you to a stricter account because he has given you that authority to rule. And so take care. Beware in the use of that authority. Thus we should not be conceited over the authority God has given to us, but to the contrary, we should greatly be humbled and we should fear the Lord in our use of authority. The second main point. The duty of a husband. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now this particular section of the sermon is going to be divided into two parts next time we gather I will be finishing this section of the sermon, but I do want to make an inroad and begin this section of the sermon this Lord's Day to speak of the duty of a husband. All of the duties that a husband owes to his wife are summarized under one word, love. Husbands, love your wives. This is not an option, God commands it, and it is, again, a continuous uh, command. It is in the present tense. Continue to love your wives. And the reason why God has commanded us to love our wives is that our love for our wives is to be patterned after Christ's love for His church. But Paul, in declaring that husbands are to lead their wives by loving them, makes clear that the use of leadership in the marriage is directed away from self-centeredness of the husband to the good and benefit and well-being of the one who is loved. Thus, leadership in the home can always be said to be a loving leadership. Now, what is the love that is to be exercised? exercised by the husband toward the wife. What is this love? Well, it's a few things that it is not, and then we will consider what it is. First, it is not a mere romantic emotion for his wife that comes and goes. Indeed, there ought to be a desire for physical affection on the part of a husband toward his wife. But this love in Ephesians 5.25 is much more than mere physical intimacy. It's not limited to affection. Again, it is not, the love that is spoken here, is not giving his wife whatever she desires, even if it is not good for her. And contrary to the revealed will of God, that is not love giving our wives whatever they desire. Just as giving in to the demands of our children is not demonstrating love for them, so likewise, giving in to the demands or threats, manipulations or tears of our wives is not demonstrating love for them if what they want is contrary to God's revealed will. That's not loving them. In effect, as God says, that if we do not, if we give in to the tears of our children, and if we do not discipline them, we don't love them, we hate them. In a similar manner, if we give in to the desires of our wives when they're not consistent with the revealed will of God, we do not love them, we're not showing that we love them, we're not demonstrating our love for them at that point. Rather, we're demonstrating that we don't care for them. We never love our wives, men, as we are herein commanded to do by Paul when we are led to sanction or approve of that which is unrighteous. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, we find, indeed, what true love is when the Apostle says, Concerning love, it rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Nor are we loving our wives, men, when we love them more than we love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has given to us express command that if we love mother, father, if we love son or daughter, if we love our wives, and for that matter, if wives love their husbands more than Christ, then we are not worthy of Christ. And so it is not a matter of loving our spouse, loving our wife more than we love Christ. However, this love that is spoken of here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, this love is, as we've noted already, a sacrificial love and is captured and uh, encapsulated in that small little word, give. Give, give, give. That's expressing love. For we see in Ephesians 5.25, how did Christ show His love for the church? He gave Himself for the church. He gave Himself And so this love that Paul speaks of here is a love that looks to the spiritual and physical well-being of the one loved, Even at the expense of men, our own comfort. Even at the expense of our own health. And even at the expense of our own life. That's love for our wives. We're willing to sacrifice those things in order to bring about their edification, their well-being both spiritually and physically. For Jesus Christ, dear ones, He didn't simply give us blessings. He didn't simply give us things. Jesus gave us Himself. And so will we do, husbands, when we love our wives as Christ loved the church. In so many marriages, wives are essentially bribed To keep some measure of order in the home by giving to them spending money to buy whatever they want. When in reality what wives really want husbands is for their husbands simply to spend time with them, talk with them, fellowship, communicate with them, love them. They want not so much things wives want their husbands. They want their time and attention. Not that we can devote all of our time and attention. We'd never get through our callings. But dear ones, when we are at home, are we totally distracted? Are we we spending time talking about the day's events? Talking about the things that may be important to our wives? Giving them counsel and advice. Are we just merely saying, take care of it yourself. Here's some money. Leave me alone. I'm busy. Furthermore, the love that is commanded here in Ephesians 5.25 is also righteous. There is no such thing as an unrighteous love. Love is always righteous and according to the truth. It's not like the the so-called love of Jezebel for Ahab when Jezebel had Naboth murdered in order to give to Ahab Naboth's vineyard. That's not love. And finally, this love, I would simply note, this love that is spoken of here in Ephesians 5.25 is a supernatural work of God's grace and not a natural work of man's mere determination. We're not talking about having a mere natural loving personality. Certainly there is a measure of common grace that God bestows even upon Christians so that there can be a measure of love within a marriage, even amongst the pagans and the heathens and the non-Christians. But the love that is herein commanded by the Apostle Paul that husbands are to have for their wives is not that type of love. It is a supernatural work of God's grace. It is only given to those who are born again of the Spirit of God. Only they can know and grow in this love of Jesus Christ which Christ showed toward His church. And I would simply offer to you and submit to you, dear ones, that the neglect of the husband in loving his wife as Christ loved the church is more a serious and aggravated sin than that of a wife that does not submit as she is called to do because the husband, dear ones, represents Jesus Christ to his wife. And Christ first loved his bride and gave himself for his bride, before his bride submitted to him. The prior responsibility, the primary responsibility, I believe, rests here upon the shoulders of a husband inasmuch as he represents Christ to his wife. And that is not to say that if he simply does so, that in each and every case that his wife will cheerfully follow and submit. There are indeed cases where a wife will not submit to any authority regardless of what it is. Well, they will not submit to Christ himself. And if they will not submit to Christ, they will probably not submit to their husband's authority. But I do submit to you, dear ones, that when a husband is loving his wife as Christ loved the church, it is certainly much more likely and more the exception than the norm that the wife will not follow. In conclusion, this Lord's Day, Durance, I ask you to consider... Then how are you training your sons for marriage? Well, you have to tell them, don't follow my example in leading my wife, who is your mother. Don't follow me. Follow Mr. So-and-so's example. But don't follow mine. Husbands, if we sincerely desire that our wives follow our leadership in the home if we earnestly pray for a godly peace and order, a foretaste of heaven to come within our homes, God calls us to imitate Christ by leading our wives in love, in laying down our lives for our wives, and in putting aside all of our selfishness so that they know we lead them for their benefit for their well-being, and not simply to make a point that we're the bosses. What woman in her right mind won't delight to follow a husband who loves her as Christ loved the church? Please stand with me in prayer. Our gracious God and Father, we do appeal to Thee this day. Send us Thy Spirit. Fill us, Lord God, to overflowing that we would evidence the Spirit filled life within our homes. That, O Lord our God, we as husbands would recognize our role to be leaders and our duty. love. We pray, Father, that Thou would give to us a desire, even as Christ is the Savior of the church. But we cannot save our wives. We can be the means by which they are saved. And we can be a means by which they are sanctified. Oh, Father, give to us that grace, give to us that desire, stir up the affections, Lord, within us for our wives, that we would desire to see our marriage to reflect that foretaste of heaven to come. We do pray, Father, for for all the husbands and wives in our congregation and all who hear the sermon today. That Thou would use it to stimulate, provoke us to love and good deeds. Cause us, Lord, not to allow these words to fall upon deaf words. For, Father, we will give an account on that final day of what we have done with the authority which Thou hast given to us in our homes. We pray, Father, that we will be able to stand... Certainly not as those who are blameless and perfect, but those who are faithful. And when, Lord, we have made mistakes and sinned in abusing our leadership in the home, O Father, grant to us humility to go to our wives that we might repent of our sin and seek their forgiveness even as we seek thy forgiveness. We ask thy blessing upon the marriages that are represented, Lord, in our congregation and all of those who hear by word preached this Lord's day. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.
1: This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. You are welcome to make copies and give them to those in need. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale,